Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Welcome to the Zenpreneur Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest on the show. His name is Herb Cogliano. He is a fellow American that has Italian roots, just like myself. I'm not American, but I do have the Italian roots. He owns his own advisory practice, leveraging the Scaling Up Performance Platform. And he described this in Vern, Vern Harnish's award-winning book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits for Scaling Up Practices. Now, this is very interesting because everybody wants to scale up their business, but many people don't really know how to. And Herb brings knowledge from decades of experience as a CEO, as a practitioner, as an advisor, as a consultant, as a business coach. And today we get to interview him and squeeze out those fine nuggets of value so that we can apply them to our businesses. Herb, I'm excited. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Mario, it is a pleasure to be here with you and all of your guests. And I look forward to hopefully adding some value and sharing some great insights. So your listeners can scale their business as well. Well, I have no doubt that we're going to deliver just on that. Now, Herb, I like to frame our conversation. Sure. Most of my listeners are business owners, business leaders um, that, just like you say, they want to scale, they want to create more freedom in their life. Now, if somebody's tuning in right now, what can you do for them? Ideally, we work with entrepreneurial business owners that want to grow their companies to make more money, more freedom with less drama. And our companies go through different stages and at different points, we can get stuck at one level of growth. Mm. And then we plateau. And yet we're trying to figure out how do we break through? There's a new level of complexity. How do I go from 25 employees to 50. How do I set up the org structure? What's the market go-to-market strategy? You've been to a level, but you haven't been to where you want to go and you get stuck. And we help you get unstuck to get the roadmap to the next level. It's what you don't know that oftentimes mm. holds you back than trying to repeatedly work on what you do know. I love that. And I'm right there with you. I call this a blind spot. And there are many entrepreneurial organizational blind spots. I want to write, ask you right away, on your own journey to becoming the man that you are today, what were some of the roadblocks that you ran into that got you stuck? And what did you learn? Well, you know what? When we were stuck, I felt three very distinct things. Number one, I was overworked. Number two, mm. I was underpaid. And number three, I was taking 100% of the risk as an owner of that business. So that's how I was feeling, stressed, anxious. I had the stewardship of all the families and employees that worked. And yet I knew that we were smart and hardworking as a group of people, but that wasn't enough. What I learned was you needed to understand how to diagnose the challenges in your business, then prescribe the right tools and methods to fix it. Have you ever heard of working on the wrong problem? Well, sometimes we thought it was a people issue, so we'd keep working on new people, different people, but I really had a go-to-market strategy issue. Or maybe I thought it was cash, but we weren't executing and we were wasting cash because of poor execution. So for me, my journey was plateauing, understanding I had smart, hardworking people. And if I didn't, as a team, as a leadership team, 
help create a bigger future, I was going to lose all those wonderful eight players that were working in our company as an amazing team. And one thing I know is A players want bigger futures and high impact CEOs have to be the architect with their team to create that. Mm, there's so much there that, that we can dive into. And first, I want to ask you, you talked about you as the business owners having 100% of the risk. Right. Can you elaborate on what that looks like and how a lot of business owners are still right there and why they keep being in that spot? Well, I mean, if you think about risk, um, you're looking at either bank loans, personal guarantees. You maybe right. took a second mortgage on your home. Right. You then have the liability for taxes and regulatory requirements. You then have the risk and the impact of losing great players in the impact to community of a business that's failed. What entrepreneur wants that on their watch? Mm. Nobody does. So you, <laughs> you have to learn how to adapt, how to be open-minded and think differently to solve problems at different levels of your growth. The CEO can be one of the biggest bottlenecks to growth mm. because they're trying to do three to five different things. Half of the five things they don't even like and they don't do well, yet nobody else around them is competent enough to do it. So they end up overcompensating. And then as your business grows, you create bottlenecks and it makes it even harder to break through. The second thing that jams you up is the inability to hire and develop a senior leadership team around you. You're not mm. used to delegating. You're not good at hiring and assessing. You get one or two bad hires and you're like, I'm not good at this, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll just do it myself. So. And now you're stuck. Yeah. So these are things we've all felt. But the question is, can you identify the roadmap as other successful high impact CEOs have done to break through that? Yeah. And that's what we help people do. So basically, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that you're the owner of the business, you're the architect of the business, the, the, the mindset, the attitude that has gotten to you to where you are at the current level is often exactly the reason why you're not progressing to the next level. It, it can be if you're not prepared to break through that and develop. So let's talk about the high impact CEO traits. Number one, are you growth oriented? Do you know what your market, the industry is growing? Let's say it's 10% a year. Mm -hmm. And are you willing to not only grow 10%, but are you willing to try and have a plan to double it? Because if you're not growing as quick as the industry, you're losing market share. So are you aware of that? And are you committed to have a strategy to double minimally what everybody else in your industry is doing? Not every CEO is willing to do it, is aware of it. And some CEOs, and there's nothing wrong with it, have more of a lifestyle company. They achieved mm. a certain level of revenue. They have a certain income, a certain schedule in freedom, and they're okay with that. The challenge with that over time is that the market may not be okay with it. Competition hmm. comes in, new products come in, your pricing gets commoditized, and the business of your dreams can change, yeah. as many people saw during COVID, and turn into a nightmare. So you got to be careful. Yeah. So t talk to me Herb, about, you know, say you are running a company, 20 people, you're in the, the high seven figure range and you want to now double your business. Sure. What are, what are the changes that I need to go through as a CEO to in, both internally and externally? Yeah. So internally, the second trait of a high-impact CEO 
is are you a coachable learner? What do I mean by that? You're only as good as your knowledge and the knowledge of your team. So my purpose is scaling up leaders and companies worldwide. But you notice leaders was first. So in order to double your company, are you willing to double the capability of the senior team and the staff working in it? Your own personal commitment to development and the commitment of coaching in developing a senior team underneath you. So that's the internal part. Mm. The external part is do you have a go-to-market growth strategy? Do you have the right differentiators in your products, services, in geographic territories for expansion? Is your current market big enough to double or do you need to have a mindset? And I'll give you a great example, Mario. We were a very strong regional company for decades. But over time, more and more companies kept coming into our region, which made us more and more commoditized. But mm -hmm. I'd never done business in all North America. Never did it. We had to learn how to market to 50 states in Canada. And that was, that was a mind shift. Canadian currency, employment law, banking relationships, very different. But we had to be prepared to learn new things and able to scale the business the way we wanted to. And a lot of leaders may not be prepared to do that. Yeah. How do you help the kind of leader that says, I am prepared to do it, but I'm noticing I'm, I'm afraid, like there's fear, there's doubt about it, there's like I'm noticing myself, I'm procrastinating on taking certain actions that I know I need to take, you know, the, the limiting belief part that comes with that. How do you deal with somebody like that? Um, I think that goes back to purpose. And I could see that very clearly, Mario, with yourself and your company and your offerings. But I believe purpose enables quality of life and confidence and the willingness to try things differently. So my, you know, we always talk about your why. Yeah. Is your why strong enough to want to walk through fire? Um, we went through 13 different recessions in our company's history. Wow. One of our companies, some second generation, was 54 years in business. If our purpose of meaningful employment, we're a staffing company, if meaningful employment wasn't truly that powerful, we would have never survived 13 downturns. Mm. So you got to have your why. And then your third mind, third trait of a high impact CEO is a strategic thinker. And here's where one of the challenges I see. Great strategy has two things. Number one, does my ideal client value my offering? And the second one, is it distinctive and unique from the competition? Most companies get the first one right. They find an offering clients will value, but they don't do a great job at finding what's unique and distinctive. And that is the seed of commoditization. So we got to do some deeper work on strategic thinking to understand the value and the uniqueness to get your company at a level that most other companies don't get to. Yeah. What what would you say are some of the trademarks of this strategic thinking process around distinguishing your company as unique, as innovative? In now what we have a sea of sameness, let's call it the sea of sameness of so many businesses, especially in the days of, of, of the Internet. Now you can literally like take a company, put it into AI and just say, spit me out something similar. So yeah. how do you go about this and finding that unique market uh, fit strategy that actually customers want and that is in alignment with the personal values of the CEO and of the founder? So one of the terms we use in scaling up, Mario, is brand promises. So once I have a product or a service that I think is 
uh, working in the market, we want to go to our ideal customer and we want to ask them, out of all the choices you have in the market, Mario, why did you choose us? And if you go to enough people and listen, you'll get what the top several things are. And FedEx, it's got to be there by 10 a.m. overnight. Domino's, it's got to be 30 minutes or less. But if you listen, not to what you think it is as CEO, but what the market thinks it is, you can really hone in on that. And what I've learned is you have to lean into the one thing, but be prepared to say no to the other things. I will give you rapid response, same day service, but I won't give you cheap price. I will give you high quality materials and products, but I won't give you overnight delivery. So what are you willing to do? But also, what are you willing not to do? And you've got to be okay with that. Mm. Great advice. I love that. So now that I've been implementing these strategic thinking solutions and I'm shifting my company and I'm getting ready to scale it up. Now, you talk about culture. You talk about A players and as you and I both know, the hiring process is one of the most challenging part of the entire yep. scaling operation. What would you say is very important in the process of bringing on A players and also maintaining them? Yeah. So this is going to play into the fourth trait of high impact CEOs, which is accountable executors. Mm. And accountable executors are CEOs that have a hiring process in the beginning that screens in the A player, that not only screens in people that can do the role, productivity, sell 10,000 a month, uh, customer response, two hours or less, not only the skills part, but are they a core value, core purpose fit? Do they value the same behaviors that we do? So we're screening in the interview, value, purpose, alignment, and ability to do the job, experience, skill, productivity, both. And when we screen that fit in, we can now put them in a job where they can be productive, accountability, execution, and Our CEOs have a goal to have 80% or more of their entire company be A players. When I began, ours was 38% in the first division we did scaling up. Do you know what it's like to scale a company with a 38% A player rating? A lot of drama, a Mm. lot of nightmare, not pretty. So my first recommendation is get your house in order with the A players percent that you have today and scale that because it will be a lot easier. And the last thing is not everybody is willing to top grade. There are CEOs, me included in the beginning, that were willing to keep somebody in a job one, two, three years when if I asked them honestly, is that person a B or a C player? Yes, they are but I'm going to keep them in that job. Number one, I can't afford to replace them. I need someone to do the work. Someone's better than no one. And that is an attitude for mediocrity. So you have to have the courage to coach out the C player and the patience and willingness to coach up B players to become A players because they don't, it doesn't happen on its own. Right. When you say coach out the C players, does that mean essentially laying them off, firing them? Either putting them in a different role where they could be an A player or helping them find another company or role where they could be. Okay. Got it. All right. I like that approach. Now tell me, what about culture? How do we create a culture of where a play, where the a player mindset philosophy is nurtured where people that are a players which by their nature they want more they want to grow they want to seek bigger opportunities how yes. do we create an environment for these people to stay on board 
And what I'm particularly curious about is money is an important element in that, but I'm also curious to know about what are the other elements that you find are crucial. Yeah. So, and we didn't plan this, so thank you, Mario. But the fifth mindset trait of a high-impact CEO is effective communicators. A players always want to know where they stand. They want mm. a CEO that's transparent. They want a CEO that gives it to them straight. They don't need a lot of hand-holding. They just need support and resources when they need it. So the ability to be trustworthy, transparent, and proactive in your feedback and communication is really important. The other thing is always A players enjoy working with fellow A players. So having a culture where you will not sacrifice or settle for mediocrity in your team is the biggest thing CEOs do to to tell A players why they'd want to stay there. Mm. So being being that communicator that can repeat the values, live the purpose, identify an audacious, inspiring BHAG, and keep repeating and supporting and recognizing that message to that team is why they stay. Mm. I love that. I, I, and I really, I really appreciate you making the point about communication. Interestingly enough, just this morning, I hosted a masterclass for my personal business accelerator on um, on communication, on how do you communicate effectively, and how do you communicate powerfully, and how do you make, how do you create impact in your communication? And so I'm wondering, what are some of the communication modalities that you use? Do you have certain techniques that you give to the CEOs on how to properly communicate? Because one of the biggest things that I often hear is that impact, uh, decision makers are have this bad feeling that comes with communicating feedback. It's like, you know, you didn't do your job well, you didn't perform. Now, how do I say it to the person without the person feeling personally attacked and then not doing their job or them sort of, you know, going on uh, online and canceling me? How do sure. you address that in a diligent and effective way? Well, so one of the things we do at the CEO and the leadership team around core values, we want to rec we want to recognize, but also give constructive feedback in relation to the core values. So, Mario, if one of your company's core values was responsiveness, and somebody sent you a CEO or sent me a CEO message saying, "Look, I work with Mario and." I didn't get this when I needed, and it really caused the problem. I could come at you and say, Mario, why didn't you why didn't you get the job done? Or I could say, Mario, you know, one of the important things here at our company is living a value of responsiveness and understanding that the importance to the client is really vital. And we promised that two hours or less response. What happened in your world? that kept you from being able to live that. Mm. It, it could have been my child was deathly sick or I had to help Bob because he had something done and that was just such a big priority. I don't know, but I want to approach it the right way. Mm, this is so good. This is super practical because now, if I understand it correctly, you're setting forth a list of values and principles that you want the company to stand upon. Like, Let's call them success principles, success values. And those, from what I understand, need to be properly explained to anybody who comes into the company. And they also need to be embodied by the leaders, especially by the CEO. And so once that is clarified, we can then, whenever something isn't happening according to the way that we agreed it would, we can always bring the person back and say, look, according to principle number three, which is, you're always supposed to be responsive to, you know, whatever way we phrase that. What happened? How can I support you in getting back there? So yes. it's a very, yes. it's a very nurturing, uh, inclusive approach that doesn't create this. It's very fact driven. I like that because it's it doesn't create room for interpretation. 
oh, but you said it this way. You know, it's like, no, you understand our values. You're, are you honoring them or not? Well, I'm not. Okay, well, let's get you back there. Yep. So I like that. Do, do you do you have any sort of other techniques that you find really useful, sort of a moment to moment? Because oftentimes I find what gets in the way are emotions. There's sure. a sense of anxiety. Like, how do you yep. deal with that if the if the decision maker struggles with that? Well, if you think about scaling a company and scaling leaderships. I don't need a big playbook. If I teach leaders, growing leaders, how to recognize, by the way, I'm not only looking to point a finger, but Mario, your responsiveness yesterday was outstanding. Our client was so happy. Mm. I think we're going to get a review on Google. Thank you. Keep up that great example of responsive behavior. But if the playbook is only three to five values and a purpose, I can, that playbook for leadership development is very scalable. When I start to give them, well, here's the sandwich technique and here's the seven other techniques and scripts mm. to do a, a coaching discussion, it goes in one ear and out the other and it's not scalable. So we keep it simple. You recognize and you give constructive feedback and I have three phases I see value development in a company. Number one, the senior leadership uses it daily in their interactions with the team. Number two, the team starts using it daily with their interactions with each other, talking core value behavior, alignment, recognition, feedback. Level three is when I see the team use the value orientation with their suppliers, clients, and stakeholders back and forth. When you get to level three, you're the best places to work. There's no doubt your culture's strong. They're living it, not just reading it. And you can kind of CEO, it's not on autopilot because you're always supporting it, but it takes on a life of its own. And that's when drama goes down dramatically throughout your company. Mm. Would you say that what you just presented is in direct correlation also with what is known as burnout? People as high performers, there's a tendency to go into too much performance. And I'm wondering, is this a system that can be applied, deciding the values and core principles of the company to also look at how we are performing? So we do, we use something called a talent assessment. Mm -hmm. And we do it once a quarter and the managers get together and we evaluate all of us on two things. How well are we living the core values embodiment and how well are we performing in terms of our role outcomes and expectations? It's mm -hmm. not one or the other. It's both. Right. And together we map with the employee. How do we coach them up? I want everybody to be a high performer. Now, it's not a perfect world. Not everybody is. But if I'm going to make an investment, my job is to help as a leader, help them become a high performer or coach them up or ultimately find a company or a position where they can be. But the discipline is, Mario, we evaluate it every 90 days. Mm. And so how does that help me? How does that prevent me from burning out? Because I find burning out is is so ingrained into the high performance culture. Right? You have a lot of A players that are constantly burning out because of the the expectations that they put on themselves, because company expectations and many other, other factors that get into that. So I'm wondering, what are the measures to prevent that from happening? Um, I don't think there's just one. Number mm. one, people get burnt out when they don't feel appreciated or recognized or supported. Mm. And um, Marcus Buckingham in one, in one of their resources mentioned, great leaders know how to play checkers versus chess. Simply, what do I mean by that? Some leaders treat everybody identical. That's checkers. One piece, one move for all the pieces. Checkers are people are unique. A players are unique. 
So how do I treat the rook versus the queen or the king or the bishop? How do I treat that employee uniquely, lifting them up in order for them to be really productive? And so some people need more praise. Some people need more pushing. Some people just need to be left alone. Can you figure that out? It's almost like psychology, if you think about it. Great leaders know how to read the psychology and give the person what they need to be their best. Yeah, that's a very very good answer. I like the 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 way that you're looking at performance from a place of there's no one size fits all solution there is every human being is unique in in their nature and we're finding ways of, on, on how to approach that and how to meet their needs uh, and i'm right there with you now you also talk about a culture of accountability yes and that makes me very curious because i'm a coach as well and you know holding people accountable is part of what yep. we do and now i want to understand How does a CEO establish this culture of accountability? Yeah, it begins with the job scorecard. You may call it the job description. There's probably a million different names. Mm -hmm. But before the person is hired, have you been thoughtful? And do you understand the right KPIs that measure KPIs and activities that measure success in that role? And then are you interviewing and hiring for someone capable of doing that? And then when they're in the role, do they take ownership? And are they willing to report out to the team peer accountability? We have meeting rhythms where people have to be peer accountable. And then are they willing to be evaluated in their quarterly talent assessment of living up to that? Yeah. So I find a lot of leaders, number one, don't know, really. I, I would say 65 to 70% of the companies that initially come to scaling up do not have job scorecards with clear KPI metrics for each person. So that's number one, boo-boo. Got to fix it. Mm. Number two, they don't have accountability built into their meeting rhythms into their work with their employees. We shouldn't set you up to point the finger to fail. My goal should be, how do I set you up to continually be successful doing that? Some companies don't use data. I'm a big, I'm a big believer, unless you're a startup, take the best people performing in that role today, go back one year And what are the averages in those KPI metrics of the top achiever? The right number is probably somewhere below that. Maybe mm. 80 to 90% of that top best achiever. And above average, A achiever may not be the best person in the entire team, but they're going to keep up, but it won't be point for point. So once you have the data, because you have track record, then you've got believability and buy-in. Mm. I really appreciate what you said earlier about building a culture that isn't geared towards punishing mistakes and failure, but one that is focused on allowing you to succeed at a higher level and moving that with the accountability. And that's so true. Because oftentimes accountability is used as this sort of um, like it was in a school. Did you do your homework? No, I didn't. Okay, I'm going to mark that F. And yes. that creates a, that creates that sense of of added, added pressure, of, of anxiety, of like, oh, my God, now the next meeting is coming up. What else is going to uh, be told? What else is going to be brought to my awareness about? What else did I mess up here? And so I love that you're bringing in measures that are based in data and helping people to stay accountable so they can create more success along the road. Now, I do have a couple more other questions. And um, you talk about the 10 secret habits of John D. Rockefeller. Yes. First of all, I want to know why John D. Rockefeller? 
because there are so many business titans out there. So what is your personal yeah. um, story with that? And then tell us about these 10 secret habits. So John D. Rockefeller was the founder of Standard Oil, which back in the day, which is now Mobile and Exxon, by the way, to give you a scope, it's a one of the biggest global brands there are. But John D. Rockefeller was ahead of his time because he learned how to build business with very thoughtful habits and practices. When Vern Harnish wrote the book, The Rockefeller Habits, he studied the business habits of John D. Rockefeller and said, wow, if I didn't go to an MBA program and I'm a small mid-market entrepreneur CEO, how would I ever learn what they are? So let me write a book because scaling up is not easy. And let me share that with the world to give them a roadmap of how they could grow like John D. Rockefeller did. So there are 10 habits that are foundational for scaling up a company. And in the book, it outlines them. Number one is the executive team healthy and aligned. Why? Because if that doesn't happen, you can't do the other nine. You're in a drama, free fall, infighting, not good. Number two, does everybody in the company know the main thing that has to be accomplished this quarter to move the company forward? Why is that important? We have conflicting priorities in wasted energy. So there's a lot of important things but in one client, their main thing is they needed to get $150,000 in additional cash flow for the quarter. It was overarching on everything else. And everybody knew it. So they could prioritize better, collaborate better, and align mm -hmm. better to do that. Number three, communication rhythms. Does information in decision-making flow smoothly and consistently throughout the entire company. One of the big reasons why people leave, other than not liking their boss, hmm. nobody ever tells me what's going on here. And I don't know how my work contributes. So you got to have the right communication rhythms. We have them baked into the scaling up methods. Yeah. Number four, does every function of the company have one person accountable for achieving the overall function goals? Marketing, sales, operations, finance, HR, IT, etc. It can't be a function by committee. Does one person own each one? Mm. So I don't know if you want me to go through all 10 or not, Mario, but... They are yeah. listed in the system, and they they were the roadmap for me as a CEO scaling up our company. Yeah, you. I I think you know. I think we're going to share them in the show notes. More of the the ten secret habits. But we, you know, what I find fascinating is that the first thing that you said is the uh, to sum up on that is the well being of the executive team. Yeah. Now, if we look at the current landscape of business and executive leaders, we often find the very opposite. We find that people, that executive leaders, CEOs, founders, they put their well-being last. They're like, once I, once I make the money, once I have been through with that project, once I raise the capital, once I sold this new client, then. And that mentality is obviously very counterproductive. And I love that, you know, even a man like John D. Rockefeller, one of the most legendary entrepreneurs of all time, says this is the number one thing. So I want to ask you, what is your personal philosophy when it comes to creating high levels of performance while also maintaining a high level of well-being um, in all domains, in, uh, in, in mentally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and also in your relationships. What does that look like for Mr. Herb Colliano? Yeah. Um, number one, culture first. Are we being true to our values and purpose? Mm. So I look at the intent. If let's say things aren't going well, we're not hitting numbers. Things are just flat. I'm thinking, 
are we living the values? Are, are we being authentic to the purpose? Do we have the right intention? Number two, I'm looking at execution. Did we scope the right goals? Did we use the right data and mindset to get a forecast that was realistic and achievable? Because in the beginning, people are not good at that. They put goals which are way out of their current capability. They come up short and everybody feels like junk. Mm. So, number, you know, execution part one, did we forecast the goal correctly? And if not, what was the lesson learned for next time? And the second part of execution, how did we perform over the 13-week quarter? Did we have accountable activities that would have drove execution excellence? And did we deliver? Because I can't guarantee an outcome, but what I can guarantee is the activities that would potentially deliver it. And if we came up short, we want to know why and what are the lessons learned. So when you deal with people that way, authentically, transparently, and understanding that you won't win every quarter or year. But what we did have is a mindset of progress, not perfection. We were going to get better, even if it meant 12% growth versus 15, we still had 12% growth. And we can build on that. Yeah, yeah. What about you personally? Like, how does your day look like? Because you know you're operating in a very high level, and you're advising high performers. And yep. I can imagine that's not always the easiest thing to do in the world. And you probably also deal with challenges yourself. What I'm what I'm curious to learn more is about what are your practices? What do you do on a daily basis? on a weekly, maybe in a monthly basis? Yeah, so um, two major things in my practice. Number one, I'm the professor for the Global Scaling Up Master's Business course. Mm -hmm. So part of me is how do I stay current? How do I deal with a cohort that's all over the world and all different industries and in trying to keep the content in the education at a high level? It's always evolving in how do you stay one step ahead. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of reading, a lot of research, and my coaching practice spends its time with either educating people on scaling up methods or executive coaching around adoption of the method. And over several years, executive coaching mastering the methods And then the final part is doing quarterly and annual facilitated planning to update their executive vision and one-page strategic plans. So I'm either educating, helping adopt, supporting mastery, or facilitating your next best plan. Mm. And I love it. It keeps mm -hmm. me very busy. My CEOs are very smart. Their leadership teams are very um, committed. And as a coach with CEOs, you know, Mario, you, you have to stay one step ahead. The minute you're not, they smell that a mile away right. and you don't keep, you don't keep your practice. Right. So what, what are some of the practices or the habits that you engage in to stay ahead, to upgrade the Herb Colliano system? What is it that you do? Do you have your own coach? Do you go to seminars? Do you go to retreats? What Do you meditate? What What are the things that you engage in? I'm curious. Oh my God. How, how much time do you have, Mario? <laughs> I, I don't think I'll get it all. But first of all, there's a personal roadmap. Yeah. And it deals with healthy mind, healthy body, healthy spirit, And I have a list of habits of things that I do personally to try and support that. I'm not perfect. I'm just always trying to kind of be mindful, come back to center. And then from a business point of view, we have our Scaling Up Coaches Network. We have two to three conferences every year. I belong to a coaching mastermind group of other peers that are 
very smart and sophisticated, and we're all the best trying to get better. I, I think mm. for me, one of the biggest differences, none of us take our success for granted because we know if we don't keep working on it, it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say drives you forward in life? Is there something specific that like a specific sort of idea that you have in your mind? Is it like like your family or is there is there a life's mission that you're out there to accomplish? What does that look like for you? Yeah, um, to me, it's unleashing potential. Like my purpose is scaling up leaders and companies. And I think a company has a purpose and a potential and so does every individual working in it. And I think the best lives lived that I've seen have been people who have, number one, become aware of their purpose, and number two, developed a roadmap to try and get there. And being a guide for myself and others to achieve their purpose and do it in a positive way is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm, I share that sentiment very much. I find it's one of the most beautiful experiences when you get to be a guide and a, and a, and a facilitator for someone's transformation, for them to level up, for them to grow and expand, and then to, to have them see that all of this time it was right there in front of them. It was just that they were not accessing it. Then once they grab it, once they see what's become possible, is people's eyes light up and there's that sense of fire, that sense of passion inside of them. So I'm very much there with you. I want to ask you, so if somebody is listening right now and they have, they have this audacious vision in their minds and they're like, you know, I, I have this big dream of mine, but I don't quite know how to put that into a reality. What would sort of the steps be that you would take them through in order to turn vision into physical reality? Yeah. Um, so my first step is to have kind of a discovery call to help them get clear on what that compelling future might look like. Yeah. And once we can get clarity on what that looks like, I can then give the CEO, a high impact CEO assessment to let them know where they are on the journey of becoming a high impact CEO. And then I can also have that CEO have their team do a scaling up business readiness assessment, which basically will diagnose how ready your business is for the next phase of your scaling up journey. Once we diagnose where your challenges are, where you want to get to, we can then recommend a program that will roadmap to you and your team over the next one to three years, ultimately starting to deliver that vision. And our plans are simple one-page strategic plans. I've read a lot of strategic plans in my time in grad school and running a company, 10, 20, 30 pages. I don't know about you. They sound great, but they end up in a drawer. But a one-page plan gets my vision out of my head on paper and keeps it so simple, my entire company can understand where we're going. And that's the power with everyone knowing and buying into that journey. And then we mm. all bring it to life. That's the beauty of the plan. Mm. I love that. I think this is a great idea. This one page plan that encapsulates the vision, the idea, and also speaks into the execution of it and where it's going. And, you know, I think it's the spirit of the time where people's attention span is really sh shrinking further yes. and further and yes. further. And you can either complain about that all day long and, and tell people that that's, that shouldn't be the case, or like yourself, you can be smart and say, well, let's, let's work with what, whatever the market is, is asking for and let's make it smart and let's make it practical. So I love that approach. Um, you mentioned to me that you have a free resource for people that are listening, that are tuning in. Can you speak into that? 
Yeah, so if you want to learn more, simply go to my website, which is Aspire Growth Advisors with an S on the end.com. There you can see the high impact CEO readiness assessment. You can see the business readiness assessment, or you can inquire to me, leave a message for the high impact CEO report, and I'm happy to share whatever your listeners would need. Amazing. I love that. I will be sure to add that into the show notes. I have one more question for you that I like to ask my, my, my interview guests, and that is if you could spend an hour of your time with any person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, this is a simple answer for me. Uh, I lost my dad in 2022 with COVID. And if I could get an hour back with him, he was the founder of our first company, my mentor, such a wonderful man. I, I owe so much to him and my mother in my business career. I would take that hour, no hesitation. That's That would be the person I'd want to spend it with. Mm, thank you for that answer. And, um, may he rest in peace. He sounds like a wonderful, wonderful man who imparted a lot of good on the world. And you certainly did the same thing for us today and imparted a lot of value and uh, practical insights. So, Herb, I will be sure to add all of the links into the show notes. You've been a great guest. Thank you very much for being on the show. I have a feeling it won't be the last time. And um, I will allow you to have the last message to, to everyone who is still listening. Yeah, I think, for, first of all, every business owner deserves to have the company of their dreams and that you should be running the business. The business should not be running you. And I know during my journey, there were periods where I felt that. But trust me, there is a different, better way. So please reach out. And Mario, I hope you enjoy your stay in the Big Apple. I know it's a lot of fun there. And I look forward to talking to you again down the road. Amazing. Herp, thank you so much for being a guest on the Zenpreneur podcast. And thank you for being a loyal listener. I look forward to serving you on the next episode.